0: You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer.
1: Always. Nine minutes after ten o'clock and we are underway with hour number two on this tuesday it's the 25th morning of the first month of the year of our lord 2022 thanks again for being with us good calls uh in the first hour of the program a lot of ground that we covered there we we have not yet talked about the uh incredible story of the supreme court hearing well it's not incredible that the supreme court is hearing it But the Supreme Court hearing the incredible story of full-on racial discrimination when it comes to university applications for admission, particularly in the Ivy Leagues with Harvard and also with the University of North Carolina, the subject of these two stories. Last night um, on uh, Fox News Tonight with Shannon Bream, uh, Fox News Ad Night, rather, with Shannon Bream, a guy you've probably heard of before laid out the uh, situation for all of us to understand. But before I ask him to reprise that and go in more depth on it, I want to give you the uh the lay of the land here by way of Uh, Shannon Breen. All
2: right, so just to give people an idea of what we're talking about in in this case, the Wall Street Journal editorial board wrote a piece about this today. It says, um, Harvard admits, this is according to the petitioners or the plaintiffs in the case, 56.1% of black applicants in the top academic decile compared with 31.3% of Hispanics, 15.3% of whites, and 12.7% of Asians. So a black applicant who's in the fourth lowest decile, it adds, quote, has a higher chance of Admission than an asian american in the top decile so
1: that is that is an extraordinary statistic quoted by the washington or excuse me the wall street journal uh according to the petitioners in this complaint against harvard and against unc particularly for uh racial discrimination and they asked peter kursen to comment on that last night and i'm going to do the same doggone thing right now as we welcome peter back to our program on am 1420 the answer good morning pete
3: bob how you doing it's a beautiful day in cleveland
1: Yes, indeed, it is, my friend. Uh, uh, Before we get into the specifics of what I just laid out there, Peter Kirstenow, of the United States Commission on Civil Rights, attorney, best-selling author, columnist as well, before we get into that, I know you're trying your hardest not to support and watch the NFL, but uh, they just had one of the greatest weekends in in playoff history. Four games all decided with walk-offs. Literally, three walk-off, field goes with zeroes on the clock, and then an overtime touchdown uh, ending the game. You watched every one of them, didn't you?
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, I, did. I watched portions of almost every one. I think I, uh, I'm i trying to think which game I didn't see. But uh, the one that, uh, well, there's so many that were good. But uh, the Tampa Bay game was intriguing to me because Brady almost replicated what he had done a couple years ago. It was really <laughs> astonishing. They were down by, what was it, 24 points? 27 Al to Michael 3. And Right, and Al Michael says, you know, going in at halftime, Brady should tell his new teammates a bedtime story about how he once came back from a 27-point, and he does it. It was just, <laughs> look, I'm not a big Tom Brady fan necessarily, but you've got to give this guy props. It was truly incredible, but all the games were phenomenal. I watched portions of them. I didn't have time to watch, you know, uh, you know, wall-to-wall, but uh, it was interesting. It was fun, and, you know, it's what the game is all about. As long as they, they refrain from the kneeling and stuff like that, I may peek in from time to time. I still have my real issues with a lot of these bozos who are millionaires who think somehow the United States of America is still the the worst country on the face of the earth. But if that's what they believe, if they keep it to themselves, one of the great things about the United States of America is, you know what, we get to exercise our our, uh, opinions in any way we want to, as long as it's peaceful.
1: Yeah, I I completely agree. And by the way, um it's not just the players to me, it's the entire league and them running their NFL woke ads during the games. Yeah. I'm sure you've seen them. Uh you know, I'm black and uh, I'm because I'm black, I I make $10,000 less for the very same job that a white person gets. And all of this kind of race baiting stuff that by the way is completely and 100% fictitious. I think mean, you've pointed this out. If that were true, same thing with the, you know, the 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 um uh, uh pay disparity in in sex, uh, which they argue, Uh, if that was true, what CEO in the world would ever hire a white male to do the job if they could get the exact same qualifications in a black male for $10,000 less, or a woman for for more than that, uh, you know, in terms of, or less than that, rather, in terms of salary?
3: Yeah. You know, I, I wish that uh, before they do these kind of things, they might consult with the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights because they are the repository of this kind of information and, in addition, as a labor lawyer of, you know, several, several decades, I can tell you this is all hogwash. Every labor management side labor lawyer out there, I'm not saying there isn't a discrete instances of a discrimination, those things happen in a nation of 340 million people, but every... Uh, labor lawyer out there who represents management from time to time will tell you that whenever their clients think they they need to fire someone who is of color so to speak or female or anybody who's in a quote unquote protected class, we go through an exercise and the exercise is we try to figure out whether or not he's in a protected class then we go through all kinds of uh, leap through all kinds of different hoops but if the Client calls and says, we got to get rid of this guy. He's an able-bodied white male under 40. <laughs> the refrain is, go ahead, fire him. You know, uh, there's nothing. there's really it's just an extraordinary thing. And when we had the round of layoffs because of covid, there was a painstaking review on the part of every company out there who at least had a lawyer saying like, okay, how do we make sure that we don't see ourselves in court because of a disparate impact or, you know, uh, even an intentional discrimination case? Because it looks like we've got our numbers wrong here has nothing to do with discrimination whatsoever. But if you get your numbers a little bit long or wrong, you're going to be in court spending God knows how much money with respect to an attorney, and uh, that's what the situation is these days. It really is.
1: It's kind of funny, Pete, I inadvertently set up again the topic about Harvard and, and the Supreme Court case, because i
3: just asking you
1: in fun, because you and I talk about football all the time, asking you about fun, I'm reminded of the commercial, and reminded of racial discrimination allegations, and so forth, and here we are. So let's bring it current now. Uh, you uh, spoke with Shannon Bream about this and did so eloquently, rather than replay what you said there, I'm going to ask you to go a little deeper on it for us. Um, those numbers that Shannon laid out for you are astounding, an Asian-American has uh, is four times less likely to be admitted to Harvard being in the top decile uh compared to an African American who's in the fourth decile. Can you explain that in more detail?
3: Yeah, it's it's worse than, and I went into it a little bit with Shannon, but it's worse than what the Wall Street Journal had said in their article. Far, far mm-hmm. worse. And uh, what we were talking about is uh, the amicus brief that my colleague and I filed in this case, the Students for Fair Admissions versus Harvard. Uh, and Harvard engages actually in less robust racial preferences than most other schools do, and one of the reasons is because Harvard has the luxury, because it's Harvard, and it's got this reputation of being able to skim off the cream of the crop of any race. And so it doesn't have to delve down too far into the next tier of of people in order to fill a, a, a class. It has no problems filling class among the elites. Okay, and by elites I don't mean you know the standard version of elites, but I mean the really academically gifted. Having said that, at Harvard the average SAT for an Asian admittee versus a Black admittee is two. 118 points higher. Not two points, not 18 points, 218 points higher. Uh, The GPA, similar types of disparities, um, with uh, the difference between blacks and whites is slightly less, but not by much. If you are black and applying to Harvard, all things being equal, you have a 10 times greater chance of being admitted over your white or Asian comparative. By comparative, again, I mean to the extent you look at SATs, grade point average, extracurricular activities, and try to equalize them as much as possible. You're 10 times more likely to be admitted if you're black. Right now, for example, this entering class, Harvard's going to admit 18% 18% of its entering class is black, despite the fact that thirteen percent of the population is black. So you talk about disparities. My goodness, there's a disparity right there. And Bob, you and I have talked about K through twelve, what's happening there. We talked about that one Baltimore school where the, the guy who had a D plus was like the valedictorian of the class. There aren't that many black students who are operating at that level for admission into Harvard. So this is an incredibly a dis- disparate uh, treatment here. There's without question, it's overt and profound racial discrimination. But the Supreme Court in the Grutter and Grotz cases, the Michigan cases, said that, well, um, a school can discriminate on the basis of race. It doesn't say quite like that, but it says it yeah. can be discriminated on the basis of race because of the compelling government or state interest in having a diverse class because of the educational benefits that derive from having a diverse student body now the real question is what educational benefits derive from that i mean is there for example if do you need a critical mass as they put it of blacks in a certain class say in physics class in order to have a better educational experience i mean do blacks have a different version of the speed of light than whites or asians it's complete and utter hogwash it's 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 overt racial discrimination and it was a a rationalization to get to that point but here's the thing for anybody out there says well we need to have this type of uh these preference systems you know goosing it a little bit you know so we can have a more inclusive environment or anything like uh, everything like that the problem there is several fold. But one is, even if you think that that's permissible, that racial discrimination for quote-unquote a good cause is the right thing to do, what happens is you have what's known as a mismatch effect. In other words, and, and this isn't an a, a extreme example, but if you take that kid from that Baltimore school with a D-plus average, and you put him into almost every school that you know discriminates on the basis of race, which is almost every one, okay. against a white or Asian student or any other student He's not going to be able to compete. And the data show that blacks in some schools are up to 20 times more likely to flunk out without obtaining a degree than white or Asian students because of the mismatch effect. They are not prepared to compete at that level. They may be able to compete at a lower level. Look, you go to a you know, abysmal K-12 through 12 school system, and then you get... You know, put into not just Harvard. Let's say just a uh, a, uh, a fairly competitive school. You're not going to be able to compete. And the data show that blacks. It depends on which school you talk to, um, uh, look at. But in some schools, blacks are uh, from four to two hundred times. That's two hundred, not twice as likely. Two hundred times as likely to flunk out. You go to law schools, for example. So, in other words, so,
1: in other words, I'm going to jump in here because the interest of time, because I know you have a ton more information you could keep going on. But, but the bottom line here with what you just said is, in their attempt to diversify campuses, to, to, uh, to, you know, use DIE, as I call it, diversity, inclusion, and equity to get as many minorities onto the campuses as possible for the sake of diversity, they're harming black people. They're harming they black students. Yep. They literally are bringing them in as window dressing to say, "Look at how colorful our campus is. It's got all kinds of different colors and and ethnicities and so on here." And the fact that they can't handle the work here is irrelevant to us. We'd rather watch them fail, flunk out, or graduate with D's, and thus harm their future chances of of getting the types of careers that, that they or in professions that they wish. As long as it serves our purpose of coloring up our campus, they're willing to sacrifice the minorities.
3: That's exactly right. About 15 years ago I had a hearing before the Civil Rights Commission. And it was extremely interesting on this issue and I remember that there was a student from, I believe it was, University of Colorado. She was no longer at University of Colorado, but she had been admitted pursuant to racial preferences. She flunked out after the first year and wrote this very eloquent letter to the president accusing him of fraud, saying that she had wasted an entire year of her life, resources and funds to attend the University of Colorado on the supposition that because she was granted admission, she could compete there. But she couldn't, and she didn't know that until she got there and found out that she was woefully unprepared, that she had wasted a year of her life, tuition, etc., because they had brought her in basically, you know, as window dressing. That's basically it. Or because they wanted to assuage, assuage feelings of, I don't know what, guilt or something, but they wanted yeah. to be woke and bring people in. This is an abomination. No one, or not no one. Few people address the carnage visited upon minorities because of this woke ideology. People flunking out, people who, what we found also with respect to HBCUs, blacks who attend HBCUs tend to stay more readily in the STEM courses. Why? Because they can compete at that level. Based on the preparation that re- they received K through twelve, whereas if they were to go to I don't know, say uh, you name it, Case Cornell. Western, uh, Ohio State, Cornell, yeah, you go to a Cornell, they are less likely they they may go into engineering then, but then after the first year they would switch to another discipline that was less right. challenging, less rigorous. Um, and Pete, yeah, I'm going to jump
1: in here too because of time, but 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 the, uh, I'm just so glad to hear you say what nobody will say, which is black and Latinos and others who are underqualified for those positions in those universities, those spots, are being harmed and at the same time, the people who are being discriminated against and not given those slots, who could do the work, are are also being harmed. This is not good for anyone. The the racial majorities and the racial minorities are all harmed by this, which is why, of course, this is now before the Supreme Court. And we're going to watch and see where that goes from here. I'm going to take our time out of here, Peter, because we could continue on this for the entire rest of the show, but I've got a lot more information I need from you when we come right back on AM 1420 The Answer.
0: The mother, staying alive. Staying alive. Staying Always right with Bob friends on AM 1420 The Answer.
1: twenty six now right back with Peter Kirstenow on a m fourteen twenty the answer talking a lot about racial discrimination in college campuses. Want to pivot now, Pete, because there 's a lot of other things and we 're just going to spend a few on this uh, because um, there is there a real i know you 're a huge Tucker fan. you go on Tucker show a lot. Um, he and I completely disagree. On the need for the United States to step up and support our allies when they are being faced with invasion. And I'm not talking about going to war with Russia. That's what Tucker wanted everybody to believe and continues to. He is completely non-interventionist, doesn't think we should do anything that doesn't impact the United States homeland, our own soil. But, uh, you know, we're sitting here watching Vladimir Putin do to Joe Biden the same thing thing he did to Barack Obama. Barack Obama said, don't you dare invade Crimea and annex Crimea, and Vladimir Putin flipped him the bird and did it, and Barack Obama did nothing. When you don't stand up to these types of dictatorial tyrants, all of the other world dictatorial tyrants who wish to, to take the United States down, are emboldened to to step their game up. And that includes Xi Jinping, it would include Kim Jong-un, it would include the Iranian Ayatollah, and the Mullahs. All of them would be watching what we're doing here. So, with that as my backdrop, Peter Kersenow, how should Biden handle Putin's gathering of, t- of thousands of troops at the Ukrainian border?
3: Here's the problem. The horse is out of the barn. You, you can't put this back together again as easily as otherwise would be the case after, among other things, the Afghanistan debacle. we had all predicted, Bob, you and I were talking about it back in August when that debacle occurred. And what that did is sent a incredibly dangerous signal to Putin, Xi, and everyone else that, hey, uh, the world is open for business as far as they're concerned. They can do a lot that they could never have done if it were any other president, and never would even think about doing if it were Donald Trump. So, the the problem here is, no matter what Biden does, it's not end well. He's already made the critical error with respect to Afghanistan and his overall display of weakness in other regards. They view him as being incredibly weak. I'd be surprised, although not incredibly surprised, if Putin actually engages in a real war with Ukraine. I think, who knows, you know, I'm, I'm not necessarily an expert on this. But subject. does he I'm have to? Be, because I don't, to he does, does I don't he think have he to does. Because
1: Biden talked about a minor incursion. What, would that, what exactly would that be right. compared to a, a real war?
3: precisely right. And what he may do is just put so much pressure on Ukraine until such time as they start to bend his will. You know, there's Mm -hmm. rumors that he wants to install his own regime there, more than rumors, of course. We know that he wants to do it, but how is he going to do it, you know, in a type of bloodless coup type of of situation. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, I don't think, first of all, the, the, the measures Biden is taking I am not a national security expert by any means, but my goodness, anyone with a modicum of understanding of world history and just human nature knows that if he does something as ridiculous as activating 8,500 troops... Putin is sitting there. I know he's sitting around with his cohort saying, you know, just like, I can't believe this guy. They're laughing their butts off. It's an incredibly weak gesture. It means absolutely nothing, especially when you've already made the critical errors, not just of Afghanistan, but think of the posture that he's placed everybody else in by um, uh, approving or taking off the sanctions on the Nord Stream pipeline. That's extraordinary. Another element Germany, of this.
1: Pete. Is, is, is isn't amazing? Is, is, as we wrap this, isn't it amazing that these kinds of things always happen with weak Democrat presidents? Yep. None of this happened. Putin didn't do anything of this close to this magnitude when Trump was president. Kim Jong Un stopped testing missiles when Trump right. was president. I mean, everybody backed down. Xi Jinping caved in on the trade imbalance because of the pressure put on by Trump. When we have a strong American leader in the White House, um, America's Most dangerous enemies back off. When you get an Obama there who wants to appease everybody around the world, when you get a Biden in there who shows weakness in the face of the Taliban and everyone else, it it just puts Americans in danger, and it's always with Democrat presidents, isn't it? it?
3: It truly is. This is an extraordinary situation that we're in, but among other things, and I know you probably touched upon this, is consider the visuals to the American people of the American president Activating 8,500 troops, even if it was 85,000 or 850, doesn't matter. But he's more concerned about the Ukrainian border than he is about our border. 2 million people. Now, some people say it's 1.2 million, but re- 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 most recently it was revised upwards. to 2 million people have crossed our border. Nothing whatsoever. Won't send anybody down to our border, but he'll willingly send troops over, to, apparently, to Ukraine in a matter that is not in our direct national interest. Truly Appalling.
1: Yeah, it, it really is. And uh, and by the way, the numbers at our southern border are worse than we even thought they were. Those have been revised up. You're exactly right. Let's get news now on Always Right. Come right back with Peter Kirsten. Now we've got more on AM 1420 The Answer. they were those who have been revised up you're exactly right let's get news now and always right come right back with peter curse now we've got more on am 1420 the answer
0: down and the majority turns to the left turn to the right always right with Bob France on AM 1420 the answer
1: okay 1037 23 minutes of outstanding awesome left for you on this Tuesday edition of always right peter curse now is with me once again Pete, i want to combine two stories here, um, and I want to get your reaction to them in that, uh, in that regard. I want you to first listen to what Joe Biden said back right after he was inaugurated president in uh, January of 2021.
0: I'm not joking when I say this. If you're ever working with me and I hear you treat another colleague with disrespect, talk down to someone. I promise you I will fire you on the
1: spot. He was going to bring civility back to the White House and fire anybody who works for him if they treat others with disrespect. Then yesterday, he said this about Fox News, uh, uh, White, White House uh, press pool press pool reporter Peter Deuce. What a stupid son of it. It's the latest in a habit, uh, Pete, of just his anger, his ill temper, his... Um, you know, his grumpiness coming to the forefront. He has always been this way, whether he's screaming at factory workers, calling mm-hmm. them lying dog-faced pony soldiers, or whether he's Great. screaming at reporters. Read it! Read what I wrote! Did you see me call somebody Bull Connor? Um, it, it, it just, it just continues. This is the guy who was supposed to be civil, he was supposed to bring character back to the White House after that nasty orange man, uh, made it so nasty and dirty when he called pre- the press the enemy of the people. I want you to take that and combine it with the story of the polls that we see, which include 33% approval ratings of Joe Biden, which is only slightly better than his uh, number two, Kamala Harris, who's down at around 28%, and this number, which is more alarming than the general uh, polls themselves. In six months, Joe Biden has lost 30 percentage points among black voters From 9 in ten six months ago, just 6 in 10 black Americans say they approve of Joe Biden right now. That's 90 to 60 in six months. You told me on this program a few weeks ago uh, about the extraordinary problems he has now with Hispanic voters. So, Pete, is his outbursted Peter Doocy, his continuing ill-temper coming forth, his quick-to-anger personality coming out, Is he feeling the pressure from these numbers and from the uh, constant haranguing he is getting from even some in the left wing press now about his extraordinary incompetence when it comes to this job?
3: You know, it's hard to tell what Biden feels because he still is insulated from much of it by his staff. I'm not sure. I mean, clearly he knows he's in trouble. They've told him that the polls don't look good. But this is not really an engaged person who would be assessing the polls in a manner that... Remember also that the fact that the left-wing media is starting to question him still doesn't even remotely approach the way the left-wing media has. I'm not even going to use Trump as an example because that's just, you know, the, uh, that's on steroids. But almost any other president, they have insulated this individual incredibly, as does, apparently, the White House staff. Remember The fact that, you know, you and I talked about the let's go, Brandon, during the uh, uh, I think it was Christmas Eve or the day before uh, that when somebody called in and said, let's go, Brandon, he said, I agree. Let's go, Brandon. I don't think this guy is fully aware of everything that's going on that any ordinary president would be aware of. But bottom line, Bob is he's in a lot of trouble. He keeps digging the hole even deeper and uh, exacerbating all of the flaws that are readily apparent to everyone, apparently, except for himself. Yeah, he's got a 28-point approval rating among Hispanics. Among blacks, you and I have talked about for years the fact that the Democratic candidate for president, in order to have a chance of prevailing, must have at bare minimum 90% two percent of the black vote 92 percent and he's hemorrhaging black support this is why alarm bells are going off at the democratic national committee in various democratic office holders uh offices it's just crashing and burning on upstairs i don't think he's aware of a lot of this stuff and remember i think you just cited the dog-faced pony soldier and some of the other um things that we saw during the course of the campaign, the media made light of that. There were numerous instances in which Biden showed his true self, and he's always been like that. This isn't simply a function of advanced you know, dementia. If you go back and honestly look at his career, he's always been like this. It's always mystifying to me that we still, with all the evidence out there for anyone who wants to see it, are... Uh, told by the media that, oh, this is, you know, Scranton Joe, and this is just, he's a blue-collar, and they, well, he's not. That's a complete fiction, an utter fiction, and he's always been demeaning to people. If you go back to as far as 30 years ago or more to the Prince Thomas hearings, watch his performance there with many of the witnesses, just ordinary individuals who, who were asked to come to testify, and he was demeaning and dismissive to them. Uh, this the, the fiction that's been created by the media, and they do this with so many, if not all, Democratic office holders, is just that. It's a fiction. He was never smart. He was never Scranton Joe, this congenial kind of person. He was always abrasive to those who he believed were beneath him. So this is not a, uh, a surprise, I think, to anybody who's been watching Biden over the uh, course of the last 40 years.
1: Now. To the point that uh, you know about the um, the African American vote, I want to go a little bit deeper on this now. But, uh, again, sixty percent is still an extraordinary approval rating under normal circumstances, but when you're talking about it being down from ninety just six months ago, and you compare it to what happened in, in the in the previous four years, Pete, uh, Donald Trump was easily the best friend that the african-american voter or just african-american citizen has had in the white house probably since lincoln and i know that sounds a little bit extreme but look at what bill clinton the first black president as they called him did for african-americans which was next to nothing look at what barack obama the real first black american president did for african-americans which was nothing and then look at what donald trump did with criminal justice reform the lowest um unemployment rate in American right. history since they started creeping the stats for African-Americans. Uh Wages are higher for African-Americans than they had ever been. Donald Trump literally walked the walk. He didn't just talk the talk. And here comes Joe Biden, who sat side by side with Barack Obama, doing nothing for African-Americans. It kind of makes you wonder, is this just a blip on the radar, uh this, this uh, 30-point drop in six months? Or is this a trend? Is this something you think, Peter... Uh, will will continue for the rest of this year and maybe be uh, reflected in the results of the midterms and will it, go? of course, go beyond that uh, to the point where this is the new trend where African Americans are starting to wake up to the realization that Joe Biden and the Democrat Party is not their friend.
3: Each election cycle Republicans get excited when they see that uh, they're getting a larger share of the black vote and then unfortunately it doesn't really materialize. And the reason for that is because of the full court press, the Democratic Party, and the media, but I repeat myself, put on the African-American community during the election cycle. And there's a reason why everything in this country is racist. Everything is racist. The air you breathe is racist. The water you drink is racist. And that's because it's part of the Democratic Party's I mean, they must make sure they keep 92% plus of the black vote. Otherwise, they have no hope of winning a national election. Now, with the hemorrhaging of the Hispanic vote, it's even more desperate. So you're going to see the media and Democrats, but I repeat myself, continue to lie, but at a rate you've never, ever seen before in order to preserve Democratic prospects. However... This particular president is such a debacle, more so even than Barack Obama, who, you know, the media tried to uh, pump up as a god, but had debacle after debacle after debacle. And as you just uh, said, the stats show that it was horrible for the black community. But they, they are on a full court press. And now the media, of course, is unleashed after we saw four years of Trump where they've completely just decided to abandon all objectivity and they don't care that they're viewed as a democratic party organ that said this guy uh biden i think is so much of a challenge even for the full court press of the media to inflate that the democratic party sees the signals on the horizon just look at what's happening with respect to the stats on the upcoming uh, midterm election it looks like it's going to be a bloodbath for them um We talked about, I think it was last week or the week before, the fact that in generic polling, Democrats must have at least a four-point advantage just to break even in the congressional elections. And right now... The Republicans have the advantage, which is extraordinary. We've only seen it twice in the last 40 years, and it's by a margin we've never, ever seen before. So the alarm bells are going off. Joe Biden is cratering with respect to uh, Latinos and blacks. And, you know, the Democratic Party is polling around 38 percent to 40 percent with respect to the white vote. And it's still the majority vote in this country. So uh, unless they can put together that coalition in a robust fashion, they're in deep deep
1: deep trouble peter Peter and our guest pete i want to get to one other thing before we're done uh and i want to talk about covid fatigue and i want to talk about the pushback now from the courts we saw of course the supreme court tell joe biden you can't do that through osha mandate that every employee in america who works for a large company take the shot or lose their jobs you can't do that congress can make laws like that you cannot well a federal judge in New York State has said the same thing now to Governor Kathy Hochul. You thought that maybe the um, uh, the uh, 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 tyranny of Andrew Cuomo died when his political career died? Not so much. Kathy Hochul instituted a statewide mask mandate for all schools and public locations. Judge Thomas Rademacher said, There can be no question that every person in the state wishes, wants, and prays that this era of COVID ends soon, and they will surely do their part to see that this is accomplished. However, enacting any laws to this end is entrusted solely to the state legislature. So her mandate was struck down. Biden's mandate was struck down for vaccinations. Are are we at a tipping point here? Are we starting to kind of turn the corner and see some light at the end of the tunnel that says, you know, the courts are starting to step in and stop radical executive orders from being implemented?
3: Yeah, the courts grind forward very slowly, but um, most often they come up with the correct outcome. There are such things as laws, Bob. (laughs) Who would have thunk it, right? And we have state constitutions and a federal constitution. They place limits. The whole organization of our government is placing limits on government, it's not empowering government. It's placing limits on government, giving the power to the people. So unless it's explicitly stated, state forward, or you can look into a number of a legis, uh, legislation as Democrats like to do. Um, those rights are reserved to the people, and you can't simply issue edicts. And by the way, if you're going to do something pass some type of law, usually you've got to have a legislature or a Congress to do it. You know, presidents and governors and mayors can't simply wave a magic wand. Now, they do have some discretion that's granted by their state constitutions or their city charters or whatever the legislation uh, that pertains to them may be. But what this is instructive of is that uh, so many politicians, and it's not limited just to Democrats or progressives, but so many politicians, if they're not constrained, they're going to exercise as much power as they possibly can. And when you've got um, emergency situations or serious situations like a pandemic or even in wartime, there's the danger that an overreaching executive will assume powers that it otherwise wouldn't have. And look, we give the executive a lot of powers in certain situations, but nonetheless it's circumscribed. It's curbed by what is actually down in a statute, what the legislature or Congress has done. Um, it's in- instructive, though. We have to watch this very carefully because we have seen – these bureaucrats, we've seen executive, uh, uh, you know, the people in the executive and the administrative branch also who have assumed powers that we haven't granted to them. People have the power, but they're going to seize emergencies in order to expand their power and uh, uh, push through policies that otherwise would never see the light of the day. We've got to be vigilant. And I think what, what's good about, what's great about America is we have a lot of citizens out here <clears throat> who've been awakened to the fact that we've got, you know, I, I hate to say this, but it's been revealed we've got a lot of morons at the upper reaches of government and even in some of the lower reaches of government, incompetent people who shouldn't be in charge of, you know, tying their own shoelaces. I think that's very, very instructive. We need to know that these people are trying to auger power onto themselves, and yet they don't even have the capability to, as I said, tie their own shoelaces. So I, I think very, very um, instructive what's happening with respect to COVID. It's it's maddening because it's like you know, uh, you know, hitting the um, uh, the proverbial whatever it is, you know, with a mallet. They keep popping up all over the place, but I think a lot of Americans are waking up. They're waking up, they're seeing this, and the poll numbers reflect it.
1: Well, I think they're being inspired, too, again, by these uh, victories in court. The judiciary is telling the executives you cannot do what the legislatures are supposed to do. It's basic, simple uh, balance of power in the United States government, and, uh, and, and they're not having it anymore. That's inspiring the people. That's inspiring them to put more pressure on these politicians, and hopefully it will lead to a return to sanity before too long, especially given the fact that we're all waiting for the next variant to be announced sometime midsummer so that they can go ahead and say, hey, Still too dangerous to go vote. Let's do universal mail-in balloting state-by-state state as well. So, uh,
3: Yeah, people are rejecting that.
1: It's crucial that we get this done before then, that we get past this before that time. Peter Kirsten out. Always a pleasure. Great job with Shannon Breen, by the way. We appreciate you coming on with us.
3: This yeah, apologies, yeah. Bob. I'm running on fumes here. Only a couple hours of sleep. But uh, <laughs> I'll be back up to speed next time.
1: I'll look forward to it, my friend. Thank you, Pete. Alright, that's Peter Kersenow on AM1420 the answer. We'll take a quick time out of here and come and wrap it up. Uh, I expect we'll probably have time for one or two calls between now and the end of the show. So if you want to dial, do it. 216-901-0945. We'll be
0: right back. I'll
3: right back you for one of these days.
0: When Dr. Science is always left. Attacks on me, quite frankly, are attacks on science. You need always right with Dr. Bob France. You're really attacking not only Dr. Anthony Fauci, you're attacking science. On AM 1420, answer.
1: <laughs> well, if attacking Dr. Anthony Fauci is attacking science, then I guess former New York Times writer Barry Weiss who calls herself, by the way, the liberal that liberals love to hate. I guess she hates science then, because she went on Bill Maher. I was just talking to Kirsten now about this. I think I want to wrap it with Barry Weiss saying what so many of us feel. And it felt like for the last year and a half to two years. We are done.
2: So hard on COVID. I, yeah, I remember sprayed the Pringles cans that I bought at the grocery store, stripped my clothes off because I thought COVID would be on my clothes. Like I did it all. I watched Tiger King. I got to the end of Spotify. Like we all did it, right? And no,
0: no, we didn't all okay, do well,
2: it. Well here's the thing, a lot no, of us a it. lot of us did do it. And then we were told, You get the vaccine. You get the vaccine and you get back to normal. And we haven't gotten back to normal. And it's ridiculous at this point. I know that so many of my liberal and progressive friends are with me on this, and they do not want to say it out loud because they are scared to be called anti-vax or to be called science denial or to be, you know, smeared as a Trumper. (laughs) I'm sorry. If you believe the science, you will look at the data that we did not have two years ago, and you will find out that Cloth masks do not do anything. You will realize that you can show your vaccine passport at a restaurant and still be asymptomatic and carrying Omicron. And you will realize, most importantly, that this is going to be remembered by the younger generation as a catastrophic moral crime. The city of Flint, Michigan, which is 80%, I think, minority students, has just announced indefinite virtual schooling. In the past two years, we've seen among young girls a 51% increase in self-harm. People are killing themselves. They are anxious. They are depressed. They are lonely. That is why we need to end it more than any inconvenience that it's been to the rest of us. I think it's it's a pandemic. It's it's like at this point, it's a pandemic of bureaucracy. It's a pandemic of bureaucracy. It's, It's not real anymore.
1: It's a pandemic. Of bureaucracy. It's a pandemic of bureaucracy. Nobody has said it better than I've heard yet than what Barry Weiss, again, a liberal who lo- liberals love to hate, telling Bill Maher, who's another liberal who is seeing the light, that we're done with this nonsense. We're tired of the fear mongering. Thanks to Peter Kirsten. Now, thanks to my team. Thanks to you for listening. Enjoy Have a great day. Silence. Let's go, Brandon.